Oh God, Sanctus, Sanctus, Sanctus Dominus, Holy, Holy Lord God Almighty, God of our fathers and mothers, God of the pioneers for whom this church is a memorial. One last time we are gathered together with you in this house of prayer for all people. Be glorified, please. Be glorified in our midst. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Once upon a time there was a man named Moses who was also a shepherd. Forty years a shepherd with one flock. I know the feeling. Not knowing that there would be another 40 years with a very different kind of flock, the kicking and bucking of the children of Israel. Two 40-year terms. Until you hear otherwise, Moses, your previous order still stands. You hear me, boy? I got it. Well, on the day he heard otherwise... At the end of 40 long, repetitious, uneventful, utterly unglamorous years, Moses, who remains faithful and contented to, re- to, to remain for the rest of his life a simple shepherd who leads his flocks in blessed anonymity. All of that changes on that afternoon. And we love the story of the prince of Egypt, my little granddaughters, though I've watched it with them. When that former prince of Egypt, now forgotten shepherd. And we always see it before he does. If you notice that, we always see what's burning on the, on the rocky slope of this crag called Mount Horeb. We see it and we say, whoa. And we watch as he looks up and starts running towards us. He stop, stop, stop. Back, back. Because there on that Shaley Slope is a desert mountain scrub shrub, probably an acacia nilotica, the plant that eventually can grow up meters high into a tree. The Hebrews called it sene. In the story, it's called sene, from, wh- from which many believe the name Sinai came from sene. The burning bush, a bush this afternoon that is engulfed in roaring flames, but it's still green, enveloped in fire, and it's preserved. The crackling is of the flames, not the bush. All alone with a sheep pushed back, Moses is going to check it out. And we love that moment again when as he draws nearer and a voice speaks from the flames and Moses practically leaps out of his skin and the voice calls his name. Let's go to it. Exodus. Exodus chapter 3. I'm going to save the time and put it right here on the screen. Exodus 3 verse 4. And when the Lord saw that Moses had gone over to look God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, 
for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And at this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Our Arthur Matthews, in his book, Born for Battle, Studies on Spiritual Warfare, makes a point I had never, in this story, a point I had never thought of before. And i got to share it with you. I'll put uh, Matthews on the screen. Popular interpretation puts the emphasis on the marvel of a bush unconsumed in the midst of enveloping fire. A desert bush with its leaves and twigs, cobwebs and birds' nests is combustible a natural fuel supply for the desert Bedouin. Yet this fire rejects the bush as its fuel resource and blazes on unfading and completely self-sustained. Wow! Nothing in the bush is feeding the fire. It just keeps roaring brighter and more orange. What's up with that? But by focusing on the bush that doesn't burn, could it be we've been missing the greater miracle the whole time? Matthew says, yep, you have. What do you mean? God was not primarily trying to show Moses. Now, you guys sitting on, I'm apologizing for having to sit behind this thing. You can see the quotes up there. You know that. Oh, you can see it on the front seat. Okay. But anyway, you're good sports about it. Thank you. God was not primarily trying to show Moses the bush, but rather His glory that can ignore, yea, reject the fuel potential of the bush and yet burn on. God is introducing not the burning bush, but the fuelless fire. Isn't that something? It's not about the bush that is burning up. It's about the fire that is not running out. My. Not the, how do you put it? Not the burning bush, but the fuelless fire. You get what he's saying? It's a big point. For that reason, and that reason alone, any old bush will do. Now we're to the point. Any old bush will do. There's been a lot of fuss and hoopla about the pastor of the Pioneer Memorial Church these last few weeks. Some people have put attractive material together summarizing the outgoing pastor's life and ministry, and I've been blessed. I have felt the love by the kind words multiplied in this last lap of the race. But in the end, the bush, the pastor, really doesn't matter. Because as it turns out, The miracle is not the bush that does not burn. The miracle is the flame that does not go out. That's the point. That's the point. Which rightfully, by the way, shifts the focus from the bush to the God who ignites the bush. Shifts the focus from the human to the divine behind the human. And on the side of the human, in fact, it's not about the pastor at all. It's about the God who has always led His people in very humble sheep who become shepherds. How do you get, how do you like that? The pastor is not some super shepherd. The pastor is a sheep. 
who gets called to lead the other sheep. And through a long succession of pastors and spiritual leaders, that's how God has chosen to lead His people on earth. I get it. Whoever's turn is done, leaves. Whoever's turn is next, comes. That's what happens. But the fact is, any old bush will do. It's not about the bush. Here's a way I, 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 I like the, the way some people think. Someone has said that a new pastor is like a new baby that comes to the family, right? When that new baby comes into that family, what does that family do? Well, let's just decide a minute. Let's just decide. Do we like him as much as the older kid? You know, shall we, shall we, shall we keep the baby or not? No, it's a no-brainer. When a new baby comes, the family immediately, automatically throws wide its arms and says, welcome to the family. You're the newest one here. And we're loving on you now. You don't lose anybody when you welcome somebody. Because it's all about the bush, and any old bush will do. And bushes will come, and bushes will go. But the fire stays. And hopefully goes with those who go. And comes with those who come. Wow. The story of Moses is a reminder that the locus and focus of the story is not Moses. It's not Moses. It's God. I am the father of your fathers. The God of the universe. And who is this God whose fuelless fire, code term for glory, can ignite any old bush? That's, that's exactly what Moses wants to know. Because God is saying, hey boy, you're going to go for me now. Oh, really? And who shall I... Well, let's just read it right here. Moses said to God, suppose I do go to the Israelites and say, God's going to set you free. Because God's heart is always burdened and crushed when His people are under bondage. And right now in the history of this earth, His people are under bondage. They are under attack. Night and day, the enemy of us all has his sights on you and his sights on me. I'll get her yet. I'll get him yet. I'll till my dying day. That's how long we need to go. Till his dying day. God's heart is moved at the end of Exodus 2 as He looks on His people and He hears their cries for deliverance. He needs somebody to go for Him. Moses says to God, suppose I do go to the Israelites and I say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is His name? Then what shall I tell them? God replies to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. I am. Wow. And who is this great I am that sends shepherds and pastors wherever he chooses? Who is he? Oh, I love this corroborating red-letter identification of the God inside the burning bush. We'll let Jesus tell us. John 8, thank you, William. 
One of our kids on our office staff that grew up as a boy. And now he's a handsome young adult. You know. His mother's our treasure. Jesus replied, because he's in it. The, the, the hierarchy of the temple are gunning for him. We're getting closer to the end of the gospel. They are gunning. Jesus replies to the counter charges, if I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My Father whom you claim as your God is the one who glorifies me. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. You are... What? You are not yet 50 years old, they said to him, and you have seen Abraham? Ha, ha, ha. Very truly I tell you. Now, this is code language, a literary device that only the Gospel of John uses, and it's always only in red letters. It's a double I mean. Whenever the double I mean appears, it'll be translated either verily, verily, or very truly. Very, I mean, I mean, I tell you, Jesus answered. Before Abraham was born, I am. What? The very next line reads, he picked up stones. Why? Blasphemy. He claims to be the self-existent one. Get it. That's right. He is the self-existent one in our flesh, animated dust, just like you and me. Came down, the pre-incarnate Christ of the burning bush. I am, and it's Jesus. Wow. And who is he? Of whom the angels sing, Sanctus, 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 Holy, Holy, Holy. Who is he? He's the maker of all things who loves and wants me. He's the maker of all things who loves and wants you. That's who he is. He's, by the way, he's the very same I am that sends Abraham to the top of a mountain, another mountain called Moriah. Take your only beloved son and sacrifice him to me. And when that knifed hand goes up and Abraham has made the decision, I will put my trust in him, the seven-word credo of Jesus. And the hand starts to come down. Boom! Stop! Abraham! Abraham! People God loves, He calls twice. Moses! Moses! Abraham! Abraham! Saul! Saul! When you hear your name twice, it's God loving on you with some very strong language. And Mount Moriah becomes the foretelling of Mount Calvary. When Jesus says, Abraham saw my day and was glad, he saw Calvary from Moriah. Geographically, they're here. But he saw the gospel, and he believed. Desire of Ages explains it this way. This terrible ordeal in offering up his own beloved son, Isaac, was imposed upon Abraham that he might see the day of Christ and realize the great love of God for the world, so great that to raise the world and you and me from our degradation, He gave His only begotten Son to a most shameful death for you and for me. He gives His only Son to save us from our sins. Jesus, the Lord of Calvary, 
was and is and ever will be the great I am. You know what that means? That means, now here's the the application. No more pastors now. This is you. That means that what the pre-incarnate Christ did to that scrub shrub, he can do to you. Any old bush will do. God doesn't expect, give me your, show me your credentials, then I'll decide what I can do with you. You can have zero credentials, zero education, zero money, zero friends, zero anything. And God says, I can do business with you. So all I need is a scrub shrub. No matter your age or your station, no. I told the teens the other day, I went into their Sabbath school. Pastor Lindsay said, Dwight, come on, just say something to the teens about two weeks ago. And uh, I told the teens, man, I love you sitting up there in that balcony. I think it's the greatest place in the world for you to be sitting. And every time I step up, I look in the balcony. How many teens are here today? You know why? Because you are the miracle of God in progress now. And this church desperately needs what you already have. And I'm not talking about the no, the no money you don't have. I'm talking about the gift that God irrevocably has already placed in your heart and life. You're a teen because he's called you. You're a disciple of Jesus because he's loving on you, the maker of all things who loves and wants you. Man. I care. Hey, this isn't just for teens, but I carry a little, this little piece of paper. It's a... Uh, Christ Object Lessons, one of the great unnoticed treasures in many libraries. It's Christ Object Lessons. So I go to our church copier because I've read this many times, and I get it done color so that this would just stand out. And I want to read just a little paragraph here because if, 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 if Jesus can do that to a bush, think of what he can do to you, through you. Okay, come on. Let's go. You need not go to the ends of the earth, the writer of Christ's object lessons, writing to me and to you. You need not go to the ends of the earth for wisdom, for God is near. It is not the capabilities you now possess or ever will have that will give you success. Some of you are saying, my, my, my time on this earth is over. My contribution to earth is finished. It is not. Eighty years old, God is just warming up with Moses. Don't you ever use your age as an excuse. You're never too old and you're never too young. You don't have to go to the ends of the earth. God is near. It's not what you can do now that matters anyway. Keep reading. It is that which the Lord can do for you. We need to have far less confidence in what man can do and far more confidence in what God can do for every believing soul. He longs to have you reach after Him by faith. He longs to have you expect great things from Him. He longs to give you understanding in temporal as well as in spiritual matters. Watch this. He can sharpen the intellect. Well, you didn't know that. I took an I, My parents had me take an IQ test when I was a kid, and then I found out what the score was. My life is nothing. Rubbish. Rubbish. They shouldn't have showed you the score anyway. He can sharpen the intellect. There's no excuse. You're able. 
He can give tact and skill. Put your talents into the work. Ask God for wisdom, and it will be given to you. Amen. Just give me the bush. Give me your life. Give me your life. I'll take your life, and I'll do for you what you could never do for yourself. Just give me your life. You're a mid-age professional. That's what you are, and your career is pretty much locked in now for the rest of your life. Well, my friend, I need you to know that God can step into that mid-age moment and do a miracle in your life and set the fire of the maker of all things who loves and wants us. That blaze in your heart and life. I will ignite such a fire of divine love in you, he says as we end. I will ignite such a fire of divine love in you that people will in astonishment walk over to where you work walk over to where you live like Moses they see something they've never seen before and they will see your life set ablaze by the great I am and that's you that's you so that's my prayer for Pioneer that you will be that people that he can ignite for his glory in the next chapter that begins soon. That you personally will be that person set ablaze for him. In the words of Pierre Teilhard de Chardin, the very famous paleontologist on the screen, someday after we have mastered the winds the waves, the tides, and gravity, we will harness for God the energies of love. And then for the second time in the history of the world, man will have discovered fire. Oh, I love that. The fuelless fire of the love of God who loves and wants the whole world and will use any old bush like you to do just that. Amen. And amen. You're going to have a chance to pray in one second, but I have to pray right now. Father, here they are. They're your children. They're your people. You granted me a few years with great honor in your presence to come to you on behalf of my people. But they're your people again. And I pray that you will so infill them with the glory of self-sacrificing love that the truth about the maker of all things who loves and wants me will spread through them across the land, around the world. The fire is yours. We, the bushes, are yours. Do with us as you wish for your glory. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.